we are learning a lot more about COVID-19 and its clinical presentation in both men and women. But specifically, out of the pregnancy literature, there's a lot of data coming out that shows that COVID-19 can look like preeclampsia. And of course, there's this issue of the increased risk of thrombosis, which is already elevated in the hyperquietable state of pregnancy. So in this podcast, I thought it would be interesting if we covered the two main masqueraders of COVID-19 in pregnancy. One is as it mimics preeclampsia, and the second is as it mimics the hyperquagulability of pregnancy, or more accurately, augments the prothrombotic state of a normal pregnant woman. So let's cover these two scenarios now. Look, you got to follow this stuff. I mean, it's moving really quickly. COVID-19 isn't going away anytime soon. Well, that's at least what they tell us. And so we better understand its clinical presentations, especially in pregnancy. Because remember, first, the news came out that pregnant women were not more likely to get infected than anybody else and that it likely would be mild. Well, that changed because we now know that pregnant women may be actually more susceptible to infection and they tend to have more morbidity. But thankfully, the mortality doesn't seem to be increased. But nonetheless, these patients can get really sick. And during pregnancy, infection with COVID-19 can mimic other conditions. One, the increase in preeclamptic-like syndromes is the first thing that we'll tackle. And then remember, it also adds to the prothrombotic state. But let's take a look at this preeclampsia masquerading event. COVID-19 may be difficult to distinguish from preeclampsia. COVID-19 and preeclampsia have overlapping clinical features, so the differential diagnosis might be challenging in COVID-19 pregnant women presenting with hypertension, proteinuria, thrombocytopenia, or elevated liver enzymes because COVID-19 can have all of those manifestations just like preeclampsia. In some reports, preeclampsia-like syndrome is more common in patients who had COVID-related severe pneumonia. Benefits of magnesium sulfate for fetal neuroprotection should be weighed against potential risks of maternal respiratory depression in patients with symptomatic infection while also taking into account the gestational age of the pregnancy. Although COVID-19 is primarily a respiratory infection, it has important systemic effects including hypertension, kidney disease, thrombocytopenia, and liver injury. That's why it can look just like preeclampsia. As SARS-CoV-2 is believed to invade the host through the cell entry receptor, that's ACE2 or angiotensin-converting enzyme 2, these signs and symptoms in SARS-CoV-2 infection are thought to be due to the vasoconstriction resulting from the dysfunction of the renin-angiotensin system. This, in addition to the widespread cytokine response, may trigger the preeclampsia-like syndrome. Now, there's a recent publication from Spain by Mendoza et al. that's really interesting, and we're going to cover this now. This was published in BJOG, and it helps shed some more light on this scenario. 
These authors describe that pregnant women with severe coronavirus disease can develop a preeclampsia-like syndrome that might be differentiated from actual preeclampsia by assessment of certain factors. Now remember, these are not taken as universal and some labs may not even be able to run this, but at least it's progress that there may be a way to differentiate what's just a side effect of COVID-19 versus true preeclampsia. Let's take a look first at the biochemical markers that these researchers use to try to differentiate whether it's true preeclampsia or just COVID-19. Now, they used a ratio that's not unique to them because other researchers and clinicians have published this for a while now. Remember that the ratio that people are looking at to try to figure out if a patient has preeclampsia or not is the ratio of soluble FMS-like tyrosine kinase 1 to placenta growth factor, that is, SFLT1 over PLGF. In published studies before this one, it's been found that a ratio of 38 or lower can be used to predict the short-term absence of preeclampsia in women in which the syndrome is suspected clinically. Once again, when that ratio is 38 or lower, it could be used to predict the short-term absence of preeclampsia in women in which the syndrome is suspected. These researchers use that ratio along with LDH and uterine artery pulsatility index. The author stated that misdiagnoses might have occurred in some cases since COVID-19 and preeclampsia have these overlapping clinical features, making the differential diagnosis challenging in COVID-19 pregnant women who present with hypertension and proteinuria and thrombocytopenia or even elevated liver enzymes. The prospective observational study recruited 42 consecutive pregnant women. So remember, these aren't large numbers. It was an N of 42, but they all had a median gestational age of 32 weeks. These patients presented to the emergency department of a tertiary care center for suspected COVID-19 and had laboratory-confirmed SARS-CoV-2 infection. This occurred between March and April of 2020. Patients were classified as severe and non-severe COVID-19, depending on whether they had severe pneumonia. Recorded data included platelet count, LDH, and liver enzymes, among other measures. Now, in women with suspected PE, researchers assessed the uterine artery pulsatility index and that specific serum ratio. Eight cases developed severe pneumonia and required admission to the ICU. The authors noted that the median maternal age of cases with severe COVID-19 was significantly greater than in the non-severe cases, although no other pregnancy baseline characteristics differed between the severity groups. Now, six women in the total cohort presented signs and symptoms of preeclampsia, with all six being among the severe COVID-19 cases. Signs and symptoms included nuanced hypertension and proteinuria or thrombocytopenia with or without elevated liver enzymes, with antihypertensive drugs required in all of these cases. No instances with diagnostic criteria for PE were found among the 34 non-severe COVID-19 women, so that's the first clinical pearl. This preeclampsia-like syndrome seems to occur only in the severe cases, specifically in this study, those that had pneumonia. The authors noted that before severe pneumonia, 
all eight women were normotensive, had normal platelet counts, liver enzymes, LDH, and proteinuria, while only one case of uterine artery pulsatility index was above the 95th percentile. During severe pneumonia, the most frequent findings were elevated liver enzymes to twice normal, proteinuria greater than 300, and hypertension. Now, after recovery from severe pneumonia, hypertensive therapy was no longer required in all cases, and only one woman who had presented with a ratio greater than 110, LDH greater than 600, and a uterine artery pulsatility index that was above the 95th percentile remained with diagnostic criteria fulfilled for true preeclampsia. So what does this mean? All right, let's put this in perspective. Here's what the authors found. Because COVID-19 can look like preeclampsia in those with severe disease, specifically those with pneumonia, they looked at a ratio, which was the soluble-like tyrosine kinase 1 and the placental growth factor ratio as a way to discriminate between the two. They found that the higher the ratio and the higher the LDH, which is above 600, and the higher the uterine artery pulsatility index is, specifically above the 95th percentile, helped to rule in true preeclampsia. But if those cases weren't there, then it likely was COVID-19 masquerading as preeclampsia. Remember that the uterine artery pulsatility index goes up with preeclampsia because it shows an increase in uterine impedance or resistance to the placenta. Now, as we wrap up this COVID-19 masquerading as preeclampsia, we've got to remember that the use of this ratio in LDH and the use of this uterine artery pulsatility index sounds good, but it's not yet universally accepted or endorsed by ACOG or SMFM. These are just other markers that can be used to try to rule in or rule out preeclampsia. But again, it becomes much more gray because the lines do blur because these clinical manifestations, these clinical presentations of severe COVID-19 and preeclampsia just look alike. All right, as we leave this chapter and go towards the prothrombotic aspects of COVID-19 in pregnancy, here's a take-home message. In patients that have COVID-19, especially those that have severe infection or pneumonia, not all patients who have concomitant hypertension and lab abnormalities that look like PIH have PIH. The trick is to try to figure out which one is which, and although this study is helpful, it's a very small number, and remember, these factors, these ratios, and these lab tests aren't necessarily available in all locations. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Now, on to thrombogenesis. In a series of 184 patients with confirmed COVID-19 pneumonia, 31% of patients had venous or arterial thromboembolism, defined as acute pulmonary embolism, ischemic stroke, DVT, or myocardial infarction. Although it was originally thought that pregnant women with COVID-19 were no more likely to develop severe morbidity or die, recent reports suggest that a subset may develop this multi-organ failure and even have increased mortality because of these microthrombi. Given that healthy pregnant women have evidence of increased generation of thrombin and a prothrombotic state, as well as increased intravascular inflammation that is exacerbated in the context of infection, these patients may be at an increased risk of thrombosis when affected with COVID-19. Although approximately half of venous embolism occurs during pregnancy and half occurs during the postpartum period, here's a clinical pearl, the risk per day is greatest in the weeks immediately postpartum. Microvascular thrombosis is hypothesized to be involved in hypoxic respiratory failure in some patients with COVID-19. Autopsy studies to date have been limited, but they do show large vessel and microvascular thrombosis, pulmonary hemorrhage, and a high prevalence of VTE. These autopsies do in fact show that the lungs fill with hundreds of microclots. Errant blood clots of a larger size can break off and travel to the brain or the heart, causing a stroke or a heart attack. Anticoagulant treatment with low molecular weight heparin has been associated with improved prognosis in patients with severe COVID-19 infection, and this is stratified by sepsis-induced coagulopathy score or D-dimer results. We're going to get into that in just a minute, but for now, the take-home is that anticoagulation with low molecular weight heparin can help patients with severe COVID-19 because it decreases their mortality. The International Society of Thrombosis and Hemostasis has generated simple algorithms for the management of COVID-19 coagulopathy, and those can be found online. But the recommendation has been made that low molecular weight heparin should be considered in these patients. This body of evidence should be considered when caring for pregnant women with COVID-19. A coagulation profile to detect the presence of subclinical DIC and the use of low molecular weight heparin for the prevention of thromboembolic disorders should be considered and discussed with these patients. Now, don't get confused because it's kind of counterintuitive. These patients have lab evidence of DIC, but clinically they're at risk to clot. So low molecular weight heparin is still advised. And if bleeding becomes an issue, which it really shouldn't be because it's just a lab finding of DIC, but if bleeding does become an issue, then blood replacement for correction of that defect can be done. Let's take a look at some of this data from the non-pregnant population. There are reports, and it's concerning, that elevated D-dimers are a poor prognostic indicator in non-pregnant individuals with COVID-19. Data and authors have shown that higher D-dimers are found in patients that require ICU admission. Now, given that typical D-dimers rise during pregnancy, it's unclear what D-dimer threshold would indicate an unfavorable prognosis in pregnancy. So outside of pregnancy, anticoagulation of a coagulopathic or aseptic patient does improve outcomes. So remember that clinical pearl. 
Tang et al. demonstrated lower 28-day mortality with sick scores, and remember that that's sepsis-induced coagulopathy score. When that score is greater than 4 and they receive anticoagulation, it drops their mortality. Now, while sick scores use remains unvalidated in pregnancy, given the poor prognostic implication of high D-dimers and the benefit of anticoagulation prophylaxis in these non-pregnant individuals with COVID-19, then experts recommend the consideration of prophylactic Lovenox and that it may be valuable, especially in the immediate postpartum period. So let's drop right there because that was a mouthful. The short of it is, in patients with COVID-19, especially in the postpartum period, definitely at least consider prophylactic Lovenox at 40 milligrams once a day. What's not agreed upon, though, is the length or the duration of treatment. Personally, I think 10 to 14 days is typical and pretty effective, but some advocate the use of low molecular weight heparin for up to two to four weeks in the COVID-positive patient because a lot of those parameters can stay off. And remember, they're already at risk for thrombosis because they're in the postpartum period. Okay, so there it is, the take-home. Don't forget that Lovenox, at least consider it in the COVID-19 positive patient, especially in the postpartum period. But this raises another question. What if that COVID-positive pregnant woman has postpartum hemorrhage? Can she get transacemic acid? Well, ACOG has that answered on the ACOG FAQ page on the college website. Here's what it says according to the college. COVID-19, remember, does appear to be a hypercoagulable state, but TXA can be considered for the treatment of PPH in keeping with the guidance for non-COVID-19 patients. However, quote, because of the possible additive effect of this increased risk of thrombosis from COVID-19 and this hypercoagulable state of pregnancy, it may be prudent to consider this increased likelihood of clotting before administering TXA for postpartum hemorrhage, end quote. In other words, yeah, you can give it, but just make sure that you've used all the other alternatives before resorting to TXA. But just to be clear, COVID-19 is not a contraindication to TXA. My goodness, we've said a mouthful in this podcast because that was a lot of data, but we've covered two big clinical scenarios that COVID-19 can get involved with, preeclampsia-like syndrome and this increased risk of thrombosis, especially in pregnancy. We're so thankful that you listened to this podcast. It really is our passion. So thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. Clinical Pearls.